Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Rachel Carey has plenty to say, and she does so through film, theater, and the written word. Ask for Jane, Rachel's first feature as writer-director, is based on the true story of an underground abortion network in Chicago. From 1969 until 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, a collective of young college students helped more than 11,000 women get safe, illegal abortions. Released in 2018, the powerful film is the first-ever narrative about the Jane Collective. Phases, Rachel's first full-length play, was nominated for Best Play along with a pair of acting awards at the 2012 Thespis Festival. The Shelter, a New York City theater company, has produced several of her plays, including Cul-de-Sac, which premiered at Manhattan's Cherry Lane Theater in 2014. And then there's her debut novel, Debt, published in 2013 and subsequently optioned to be turned into a TV series on ABC. Other recent projects include writing and directing the TV pilot Takers, which was shown at several festivals, including Series Fest, where it won the Best Actress in a Drama Award. Rachel has a master's in education from Harvard, a master's in fine arts from NYU, and has taught at several colleges and universities. So let's meet and get to know Rachel Carey. Hi, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. So first of all, where did you go to school undergraduate? I went to Yale for undergraduate. You went to Yale. And did you think when you applied to Yale or college in general that you were going to do something in film? Not when I started. Uh, The very first thing I ever directed was my senior year of high school. I directed a high school play. And so I went into Yale thinking I might go into theater directing and then found the theater department there very intimidating. (laughs) I didn't do a whole lot with that. I thought I would be a college professor maybe at the time. And so it, it took a little while for me to realize that I wanted to do filmmaking. Well, did Yale ring a bell for you because of the Yale School of Drama? I went there because I just like the school and I like their emphasis on, you know, liberal arts and so on. And I I went in undecided for a while. I was thinking about physics and, you know, ended up as an English major. So I think I didn't go in there for specifically for theater, but in the back of my mind, that was something I was interested in was directing. I'm struck by the fact that you were a senior in high school. You still directed a play. That's very unusual, isn't it? It is. What happened in my high school was that the woman who usually directed our play just opted out my senior year and and decided not to do it. I just don't feel like doing it yeah, this year? Yeah. She, she sort of said, essentially, I, d- I just don't feel like doing it. And it was my senior year, and I was never a great onstage actor. So I just offered to do it myself, and that was my introduction. Well, that's a big deal. Did she teach class there? I mean, not that we're going to spend time talking about her, but that's the most bizarre thing. I don't feel like doing this. Yeah. I think I, you know, I, I'm sure she had her reasons. But for me, it was great because I discovered I liked something and could do it that I'd never really thought about before. I think that's also kind of interesting that you thought you could do it. I took that chance, yeah. And it went over well, if you can go back it that did. far back It in went time. over well, yes, it did. It did. Now you finish um, undergraduate and you get your master's in education yeah. from Harvard, like you said, maybe I'll teach. Then what happened? So a couple of things happened. The, the first was I was thinking about film already a little bit, but I wasn't sure I wanted to go into it, and I wasn't sure I'd be good at it. And so I got a master's because I was going to teach high school for a couple of years. I figured that was a useful thing to do while I was figuring things out. And then I was just very unhappy doing that. I liked my students a lot, so it wasn't them. But I remember driving to the high school one day, and I literally had the thought that if I steered my car off the road, I could get in an accident 
that would be, if I slowed down, I wouldn't probably get injured, but I wouldn't have to go into work that day. Oh, that's big. Yeah. Oh, and then I, I remember having the thought and then being like, that's, that's really a terrible thought to be having. So I decided that I'd been kicking around this idea about film and I should just go and do it. Um, were you a big moviegoer? I was. But I also think that the late 90s were a really interesting time for independent film. That was sort of the Kevin Smith era. You had Christine Vachon at Killer Films. You had Good Machine making all these great films. And so I think one thing that happened in that time period when I happened, which happened to coincide with college and a couple of years after college for me was that I suddenly, there was this opening up in this sense that anybody could make a movie. Uh, Kevin Smith sort of, I remember he made Clerks for like $15,000. Sure, that was a great film too. Yeah, it was. But I think it also opened up that sense that it didn't, filmmaking didn't have to look like the sort of standard Hollywood model that we grew up with. And, and I'm sure that that particular time period had an influence on me wanting to go into film. I liked movies, but I also liked the idea that, you know, it didn't have to, you didn't have to look like, you know, Steven Spielberg and me making those kinds of movies to be able to succeed in that. But not for nothing. The two names that you mentioned are males, and that's that's huge because back then there were what? You could count on one hand how many women in film. Okay, and so today maybe you can count on both hands how many yeah. women are in film. But did that not on some level register with you as you're, you're just I, seeing men? I think it did register, but I think, again, because there was that sense with Kevin Smith of, like, anybody can make a movie, I think it it also opened up the sense that, that maybe I could more than earlier time periods in film had for me. Don't mean to, you know, completely focus on this high school experience, but you said, I can do this even though you never did this. And that must have been what ran through your head in terms of film. I think so. I think I'm, I'm temperamentally a risk taker a little bit, and mm -hmm. I'm willing to just sort of gun it and go for something and see how it works out, which is, you know, uh, probably necessary in film because you have to be willing to just take a crazy shot. And believe in yourself. Yeah. So that's what prompted you to go to NYU to apply for your MFA. Yeah. I, wor I left teaching. I worked for a while at Good Machine. I got an internship there, which is a great company. They The first day I was on set, they were bringing back dailies. I was in their office. They were bringing back dailies from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which they made that year. Uh -huh. and I worked on. What are they? Film. A production company? They were a production company in the village in New York, run by Ted Hope and James Seamus. Were really nice guys and picked great films. And they did a lot of Ang Lee movies and worked with uh, sometimes with Christine Vachon in killer films. Made movies like Happiness, Todd Solon's films. So really a great little company. And so I think I got this. And I worked on In the Bedroom that year, uh, so like casting and as a PA, which got nominated for best feature film on a $2 million budget. So I think I had this very initial exposure to indie film that was very sort of amazing. And then I went from there to NYU film. And then by the time I came out of NYU with a graduate degree, the indie scene in New York had changed a bit. I think several things, including the internet, had changed the dynamics. And so all of a sudden, Good Machine didn't exist anymore by uh, the time I got mm -hmm. out a few years later. Mm -hmm. And um, Ted Hope now... He was one of the two guys. He now works for Amazon doing their movies. Huh. Um, so he's sort of trying to bring his indie aesthetic there a little bit. And then James Seamus, they, they were bought out and created Focus Features, which was 
Well, that's huge. Yeah, a great company, but again, under the aegis of a, of a studio, which um, which was sort of one of the ways the industry changed a little bit. And this is about 20 years ago, right? Yeah, that, that's about right. That would have been, I came out of film school around, two, I went in around 2000 and came out around 2004. So that was the transitional period. And was it difficult for you to get a job? It was difficult. I, you know, I worked for a little while as a as an assistant editor on a couple of films with the editor of In the Bedroom, who I'd met before film school. Um, but the the tricky part was that I had huge student loans and I just mm. couldn't make my payments. And so I, for a couple of years, I just didn't even do anything very creative. I, I was doing screenwriting, but I, I worked at this job, this corporate job, just to pay down my <laughs> debt because right. I had so much debt from film school. And that was also driving me crazy. So I, I sort of saved up and slowly got back into... So what was the big turning point for you? I don't know. Well, a a few things happened. One was I found a community in New York. I started working with this theater community called The Shelter. They're a little theater company. And they have an open Sunday night workshop where you can bring in pages and get feedback on them and have actors read them. So So, this is when your playwriting days. Yeah, in my playwriting days. I I think I got into playwriting partly because it was so hard to get a movie produced. And you could get a play up for five or ten thousand dollars and see it. And you know, the very first play I wrote, the phases, uh, was produced. And the first comment I got from someone afterward was, "This could be a movie." And I was like, "Yeah." What was phases uh, about? Phases was about a guy who basically decides he wants to go and and recapture his lost love and and do this really romantic gesture and and capture somebody who he thinks is the one who got away, and then. And then slowly the reality sets in that 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 may have been a terrible mistake. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of about grand gestures that go wrong. But it was a kind of, you know, tight little story with four characters. And uh, did that flow out of you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think so. I think I usually when I really like an idea, I usually write pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So that one came pretty pretty quickly. Well, that must have been a big deal because, as I said in the introduction, it was nominated for best play. Yeah, that was. A, I mean, it, that was you know at the festival that that we submitted. It yeah, in. yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But it was nice to get. But a it was acknowledged. Reaction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was that was helpful because then I w- it was some sort of feedback that if I could get something produced, it was it would get a good response. I mean, I think when you're starting out, especially if you're trying to sell screenplays, a lot of the experience is just not getting anything produced and, and not having a very good sense of how good you are. Mm. So so it was helpful to see that it, when I got something on my its feet that the audience did respond. And that must so feed your soul. Yeah, it was it was great. And it and it was so frustrating to it's really frustrating to write stuff for actors and just never see it done. Mm. Which, unless you you know, the film financing requires so much more money that that a lot of your stuff sometimes ends up in that. Well, were you doing this solo? Did you have a mentor? Did you have people around you supporting you? And I don't necessarily mean financially, but sort of spiritually. Uh, you know, that one I financed myself, I think. I just needed to do something. And then, as I said, I found a sort of theater company that I worked with who I think created a – that was separate from that play. But they sort of created a little community mm-hmm. of actors and people I knew and – and that's been really helpful as well because they're, you know, it's it's 
very different to work with a group of people who know your work and like your work. And it's such an interesting work. dynamic because when you write something that's such a solitary endeavor, and then there comes producing and putting it on and watching it, it's just it's such an interesting contrast. I've tended to believe that I think writing is is good. Writing is less of a solo activity than we tend to believe it is. Interesting. Think, you know, I mean, I think about in in the history of drama, we have people like Shakespeare. And we talk about him as this lone genius. But I think, you know, he wrote for a company of actors. And one of the things we don't know that's lost to history is how much feedback he got from his actors or from anyone else in his circle. You know, I I would assume that Shakespeare probably had really smart actors giving him comments about scripts. And that's all lost. And so we think, oh, how is this one guy such a genius? And I'm like, I wonder... If he was just a really smart guy who worked with other really smart people, and that's part and of And they it. fed off of each other. And similarly, Chekhov also wrote for one particular theater company and one particular group of actors. And so I think there may be more of that. I actually think that that's a sort of masculine view of history that we have to scout <laughs> these like lone geniuses. Gotcha. How did they do it? Right. And, and quite often when you scratch the surface, I think there were... There was a community of people, even novelists, get a lot of feedback that we know. And it's not as solitary as the movies make it. Yeah. <laughs> I also mentioned that you wrote a novel, Dead. And sure. why did you do that? Oh, so funny story. So, okay, I worked. I told you I worked this horrible corporate job to pay, pay down my student loans. And, um, and when I left, I left, I was pregnant with my daughter. I was sort of at home going crazy because I was bored. So I wrote this satire partly inspired by the job I had just had, this terrible corporate job, and some of the dynamics I'd seen, and partly inspired by when in grad school I used to tutor SATs, and I actually had a a little portion of the novel that was about somebody who's paid to take SATs for somebody else. Oh, how interesting. Yes, which <laughs> keeps popping up in the news. Uh, but anyway, so it was it was really about, it was set in the 2008 financial meltdown, and it was really about the way that companies were in huge amounts of debt and were over-leveraged, and hedge funds were sort of buying and selling debt effectively and betting on on, on it. And yet, when the financial system collapsed, a lot of the blame was placed on individual homeowners or student loan debt or, or individuals, and very little of it was placed on these large companies and wealthy people who were actually sort of driving the economy. So it's basically, it's a social satire, and it's fun, and it's kind of snarky, but it's really about the the way that we Everybody at that point in the, you know, 2007, 2008, it was a it was an economy of accruing debt. And then the consequences when it all fell apart were distributed very unevenly among the people who were. Right. And was massive. Did you have trouble publishing it? Well, that one, I actually again, it was I, I had asked this woman to edit it for me to sort of do a pass. I was getting some feedback and. She ended up starting a small press a few months later and offered to publish it for me. And that one I'd gone out to agents and and so on and and gotten a lot of rejections on. And so then this woman publishes it with her new small press in L.A. It was maybe the second title or third title that she did. And... uh, and then it got optioned to be turned into a TV series by ABC. So that was sort of gratifying. But again, I think that was um, 
probably related to the fact that I kind of write like a screenwriter even when I'm writing. Was that successful in terms of a TV series? Um, it, ha- it never went to pilot. It uh, was sort of, uh-huh. uh, it was kind of bounced around and then eventually didn't go to pilot. So. so take us on this journey that wound up with Ask for Jane. And I just have to personalize this briefly. I did see the film at the Athena Film Festival. And I was in college and graduated also in this period of time. And I was flabbergasted that I didn't know this. I would like you to give us the genesis of the film and tell us what it's all about. It's based around this group uh, known as the Jane Collective. They, They didn't call themselves that. They called themselves the Chicago Women's Liberation Union. But they formed in the late 60s in Chicago and eventually created effectively an underground abortion network where women who needed illegal abortions could get one. Initially, they were a referral service. They had a list of doctors who had agreed to do illegal abortions kind of under under the table. And then eventually, the group learned how and started to do abortions themselves. And eventually, they helped over 10,000 women to get illegal abortions in about the four years before Roe v. Wade. So a fascinating group. They were arrested. There was a dramatic trial and so on. So it was an amazing story. Uh, From my perspective, what happened, again, going back to, I had this friend from that theater group that I'm I'm a part of, uh, Kate Cortleo, who she's an activist with Planned Parenthood, and she saw a documentary called She's Beautiful When She's Angry, which was about the history of feminism. Right, right, right. And heard about this group for about two minutes and thought, this is amazing, and had the same reaction I did when she told me, which is, why have I never heard about this? It's a fascinating story. And she felt like it should be a movie and sort of sketched out some ideas for a movie and then came to me pretty much right away and said, do you want to write the screenplay? Because I'm not primarily a screenwriter. And she thought it should be a narrative. And I agreed. I thought, you know, this is a great example for a fiction film it, you know you could sort of fictionalize the story because the janes as they called themselves they operated like a spy network they used blindfolds they all referred to themselves as jane so as a code name so when you'd call you'd ask for jane, jane right uh instead of you know and you're calling like, do- uh, dorm rooms aren't you well initially yeah i mean it wasn't all college women but it was the the woman who actually first started it in real life was a woman named heather booth who later became she's been basically spent her career as an activist, but she started it in her University of Chicago dorm room with a phone number of one doctor and women could just call her. And when she graduated, she handed it off to this local women's group. And so one way I fictionalized that in the film, because I also didn't want to have it be Heather Booth exactly, was I had two women who we sort of follow for the whole story who get involved all the way through, because I thought that would give a little bit more of a through line for the audience to, to follow particular characters. But but that was it w- did start with just a college dorm, and then they moved on to uh, having a answering machine way before most people had answering machines and having a service that anyone in Chicago could call in and use. And because they were affordable and because they were safe and because, uh, you know, it was women and they were very supportive and non-judgmental, a lot of people ended up using the service over the years. How did you wind up being the director? I was fascinated by this story, partly because I like to write, quite often I like to write sort of movies about 
and stories about people who are kind of like heist movies, stories about people who are attempting to be criminals and are very good at it. I, I always like Coen Brothers movies. I, I sort of have that aesthetic. And so, and also marginalized? Yes, uh, sometimes. Um, and, and I think I, I was... Uh, I, I'm also political. And, and what excited me about the story was that, you know, that it what felt like a heist movie, that it felt like it was kind of active and and for abortion. Almost like particular. a thriller in yeah. a way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for abortion in particular, so many of the pre-Roe v. Wade stories are incredibly grim. There are people being abused and dying and dying in alleys. And all of that happened. And, and I tried to address it in the film. But this story sort of focused on women being active and doing something and making a difference. And it didn't primarily position women as, as victims, you know, who just sort of got abused and that was the whole movie. It was, well, it's empowering. You know, yeah, it's empowering. And it, and it was a real story. So I think I started it very enthusiastic about writing it. But I think the further I got in, the more I realized there was a real responsibility involved you know, in getting it right and and in trying to honor the women. And when we were first doing our fundraising, one of the things, the really lucky things that happened was that Judith Arcana, who was one of the Janes and who's one of the people willing to speak about it and, and, and talk about it, reached out to us and agreed to come on as our consulting producer and give us a lot of feedback on the script. And so when, when we talked to Judith, I found out a whole bunch of stuff that I had gotten wrong and asked her a whole bunch of questions that I had and then produced a much better version of the script at that point and sent it to her and got more notes. That doesn't mean it's exactly like the way it really happened, but I think I tried to... It's a feature. It's not a documentary. Yeah, I tried to get the spirit of a lot of it right and to reflect some of the more accurate really interesting, complicated things that were going on in terms of the police and in terms of the racial dynamics and in terms of the way that different women felt about it and some of the women quit at various points. And I so so I tried to bake in some of that, you know, the the dynamics of, of the way that it actually happened, of course, you know, from Judith's perspective in particular. But that was great. And talking to her, though, it certainly was it felt like a big responsibility to tell it well. And, and so I felt really honored that I got to be a part of this because these women were tremendously brave and, and risking a tremendous amount to do what they did. So so that was, you know, a big responsibility for Kate and me. And then uh, what happened in terms of me directing was I was always interested in directing because I went to grad school for directing and I had just done this one-hour TV pilot as a writer director and then so I think Kate and I kind of agreed that if we could get it financed in a way where she could star because she wanted to star because she's primarily an actor and I could direct that we would do it and if at some point it came along like the only way we can get this financed is is not to do that but to have a bigger star to have a bigger director or whatever that we would discuss it when that came up right. uh-huh. <laughs> but Kate did a phenomenal job, even more so than me, of getting it financed. And we brought on another producer, Josh Folan, who had a lot of experience making movies on very, very tiny budgets. And so he was able to help us put together a convincing case that we could pull it off for the budget that we had. So he was an important component in the financial aspect of it being manageable because on the budget we had. And so, so then at that point... You know, I was I was able to direct the film, and Kate was able to star, which I think was was what we had hoped for going in. 
I want to shoot some questions off at you. Sure. Where was it filmed? How long did it take to make? Uh, well, a lot of it happened fairly fast. Uh, we we. What year is this that you this started was, filming? Let me see. I think we wrote. Boy, I'm losing track now. We I wrote it in t- early drafts in 2016. We shot it in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had a really tight post-production deadline because we wanted to get it out to certain festivals after that. So it was the picture was locked fairly early after we shot in that fall. And then we sort of submitted it to a whole bunch of festivals and ended up not premiering until November of 2018 at the Hamptons International Film Festival. It was shot in Brooklyn and uh, Brooklyn for Chicago, effectively. Right. And it was a 24-day shoot, which was... Very challenging because we had about 50 locations. So we were always changing locations and, and, you know, and we had a couple of spaces that our friend, he was letting us shoot in his house and in his mother's house. And and without that, I honestly don't know what we would have done. Uh He lived in this, you know, really wonderful old neighborhood in Brooklyn with all these great old houses that could easily pass for that era. For Chicago as well. Yeah. yeah, So that was a tremendous help. But it was a challenge on what we were trying to make it on. So that was that was difficult. It was funny about Brooklyn for Chicago, though, because I was we had a little money and I was like, maybe, you know, maybe we'll ask somebody in Chicago to just shoot some B-roll neighborhoods for us. But they'll have to look like they're from 1970. And I had all these restrictions. And then I was looking at Chicago photos, and I was like, yeah, it looks it looks a lot like Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> so maybe <laughs> we, we can we cut our losses. It. In terms of layout and the fact that they're flat and the the time periods when they were built, they're actually not wildly different. Uh, you know, of course, aside from the lake, which we didn't need for this story. So I, I kind of, um, you know, I thought we would probably be okay, Brooklyn for Chicago. Were you very much involved in the casting? I was, yeah. Uh, we we brought on a casting director, Eve Bataglia, who brought in a bunch of great people and made made offers to a bunch of great people, and and so I was involved in, you know, in in that whole process as well. And we got wonderful people, I think, to sign on to do it because they were enthusiastic about this story, which is a fascinating story, and that that was great, of course. Not for nothing, it's also so current. Who would have thought that this film would resonate in the way that it does? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Well, hopefully not. But yes, I think it, it's, there's been a huge pushback on abortion rights, and it's it's really disturbing to see. But I think that I'm sure that was a factor in us getting finance as quickly as we did and, and getting the cast we did, because people I think it's important. And are committed to getting a story like that out. How has the film been received? So far, it's been received quite well. We haven't gotten a lot of pushback. We've been doing festival screenings, and so... Is that an easier I, thing to do? I have a feeling that the festival audiences are probably, who who opt to come, are probably more in our corner. Yeah, I would think so. So, so, so far, the response has been good. I mean, I I think the most interesting part for me has been at the festival's hearing how many women have personal experiences with this. You know, I've I've done festival Q&As before where people are like, you know, they're just asking about your shoot days and very what camera was this on? But they start to personalize me. And in this case, it's been much more like, you know, I got an illegal abortion in 1967 and I never told anyone before. Mm, mm. And they'll be telling us this after this. You gave permission. Yeah. And that's been really moving that it means that to people and that they think it's important. And so... I think that that has made me feel, you know, really feel like it's an important story to tell if it if it's 
so personal for people, and they they want to share this stuff and talk about it. And how did this film impact you personally? Well, what did it do for you? Well, I was I was nervous to make it. I was nervous about what the reaction would be and so on. But it's been a really fascinating journey, sort of seeing through a feature all the way and and one that's so important to people and that people want to talk about. So in terms of, you know, my perspective, it, it's been an honor to tell this story about these women who I think were really brave. And, and I'm just glad that it's been meaningful to people that that we've gotten a bunch of festival acceptances that, you know, I think it's over a dozen now. And that I think it's because people think it's really important. So on a personal level, that's very gratifying. And it's also as these abortion rights get pushed back on, it's also nice to have something to do. And, and getting this story out there is, is something you feel involved. Artist, yeah. You can, mm-hmm. you can make a little bit of a difference. Um, what's in the future for you, Rachel? What do you got on uh, the burner? Well, I am trying to make more films. I have one script with a producer friend attached that is a little micro budget that is about a woman who becomes a home brewer. It's kind of a little underdog home brewing movie that's <laughs> kind of fun that I, I hopefully will, will get to direct in the next year or two. And I also have some other scripts that I really love that I want to see made. So one of them's a little kind of like a detective story set on the Jersey Shore with a brother and sister that I really love and would love to see happen. So, but I don't know if that one's a micro budget. We'll uh, see. Have you pushed theater off to the side? Is that off your plate? Not entirely. I have a, I actually have a short play that I'm going to from here that's in rehearsals to be put up at the Gene Frankel Theater. And then I also have a one act play that's being produced by Third Wing Media, which is a Brooklyn media and theater company. Uh, my friend Cam is is in charge of that. And that one is about women. It's a series of short pieces about w- women geniuses across the ages and the whole concept of what it means to be a genius. Oh, that sounds great. It's really funny, and it's it's sort of snarky. A lot of it pokes fun at these famous women as well as celebrating them. But that one is is probably up next, and, and that will be fun. Any books in the back of your brain? I wrote a novel in the last year, but now I have to finish polishing it up before it's out there. So There's never not something going on in your head. That must be so exciting for you, that it's just never, what am I going to do now kind of thing, that you're so open to all these possibilities and that you act on them. And that you know, that speaks volumes, no pun intended. <laughs> Don't you agree? I, I, That's a nice way to look at it. I think I just write compulsively. It's how I process the world. So it's nice when things get out there to other people and outside my head. And I would have to think that a movie like Ask for Jane, on some level, on a personal level, is such a validation for you. Yeah, no, that's been that's been really gratifying. And I think in that case, it's it's the story as well. So I... I'm gratified personally, but I also feel like I'm celebrating other really impressive women by telling their story. And well, that's, so that's we need that's that. That's a big part of it. It is a big deal. Well, Rachel, again, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. I'm honored. I was impacted. I really, I had so many feelings go through me after I saw Ask for Jane. Again, personalizing it, like 
whoa. And it was just a well-done film, and I highly recommend it. It was just, yeah, it was very empowering, like we said before. So kudos to you and your cast and your crew. Well, thank you so much. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. 